Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. This is an apostrophe podcast production. Here's one little question that has no simple answer. How does being alone bring us closer? My name is Peg Fong. I'm a journalist and an educator. Come join me as we explore loneliness together. A man comes home from work to find his wife and his son have left him. Alone over the next two hours, he engages in a monologue, goes through history, and reminisces about the life they shared. His anxiety grows over the next 113 minutes of the film, a soliloquy of his fears. He imagines what life would be like without them and self-flagellates himself for his past indiscretions. No one else appears on the screen during the entire length of the 1964 movie. But at one point, a shadow of a figure appears. The movie has a place in the Guinness World Records as being the first ever film in the category of fewest actors in a narrative film. The actor Sunil Dutt, who directed and produced the film, was the first ever to make a movie with a single act starring just one person. It's an art experiment and uses elements like cartoons, photographs, and background music. But mainly, it's the protagonist named Yadin, which is the title of the film, talking to himself for almost two hours. It's filmed all on one single set, and he uses imaginary personalities and various voices 
but the whole movie is just one person alone telling a story to an unknown audience in hopes there is a connection. Lonely movie characters. Some of movie's most memorable characters give us cues right away on how to recognize they are lonely. There are some sure tells. If you're a male character, you talk to yourself in a mirror or work the night shift or you drive a taxi. You might be pursued by shadowy figures and don't know why, or the life you thought you had turns out to be gone or fake. And you might be stranded in a place that's foreign, alien, in outer space, or on an island. But one of the biggest clues of whether a character is lonely or not is an inside joke, at least for the audience. Funny people playing lonely characters. These are our picks for the loneliest characters of all time, the comedians who make moviegoers recognize how lonely it is to be someone who makes us laugh. Movie audiences love seeing funny people portray lonely characters on screen. It goes all the way back to the silent film era. Buster Keaton, with his slapstick comedies, used stoicism and deadpan, wide-eyed features to show what it's like to be a man who somersaults down hills, grab running trolley cars, and most famously have a house fall on top of him as he emerges unscathed through an open window. He often portrayed loners on screen, who after encounters with others, had to extricate himself through daring physical feats. Buster Keaton claims he got his nickname Buster from Harry Houdini himself, after he was seen falling down a flight of stairs on a vaudeville stage as a six-year-old, and brushed it off without whining or complaining. That's a Buster, Houdini said, according to Keaton. Keaton had one rule, never fake a gag. He did all the stunts himself because he wanted the audience to have an authentic experience. He broke his neck once doing one stunt and didn't know it until years later, going to great lengths to stay silent about what he was willing to do for movie fans. His pain was meant for laughs. One of Buster Keaton's friends was the most famous comedian of his time, Charlie Chaplin showcased loneliness on screen without laugh tracks or even spoken dialogue in the silent film era. It was slapstick comedy, but behind the Keystone Cops, the Pratt Falls, and the Tramp persona with bowler hats and walking sticks and big shoes was a childhood that began in the Victorian era. His first time on stage came out of his mother's tragedy, he recalled. She was a stage actress and as a single parent often had to bring her children with her while she was performing. On one particular night in 1894, when Chaplin's mother was on stage, she lost her voice, and watching backstage, Chaplin noticed the audience turn on her. They began to laugh and make catcalls as his mother's voice cracked and she could only whisper. As the audience grew more and more raucous, Chaplin's mother walked off the stage and urged Chaplin, then five years old and waiting for her in the wings, onto the stage to take her place. 
Under the glare of footlights and unable to see the faces obscured by smoke, the child began singing as the orchestra struggled to keep up. He was still in his first song when suddenly something changed. The audience began throwing money on stage, showers of coins, to acknowledge their appreciation of the boy standing there alone on the huge stage, desperately singing his heart out. When he found himself standing in the middle of the shower of money being thrown at him, Chaplin stopped singing and announced that he would pick up the money first before continuing. The audience began laughing uproariously at the child performer's practical and hard-nosed decision. But that laughter turned hysterical when the stage manager came on stage with a handkerchief to help the boy gather the money up. Chaplin, thinking the manager was there to steal the money he was earning, began chasing the manager around on stage. It was unintentional comedy, born out of the persistent terror of poverty. When Chaplin saw the money being given to his mother, he went back on stage. Comfortable now in front of his eager audience, the boy started taking song requests and even did impersonations of other famous actors at that time. He made the audience laugh again when he impersonated his own mother's cracking voice. Entranced by the act, the audience kept calling for more until finally Chaplin's mother came on stage to carry him off. And with cheers, the mother and son bowed and left. It was his first stage appearance and his mother's last. Shortly afterwards, she was put in a mental asylum. His father, a severe alcoholic, was in and out of their lives, and Chaplin, when he was seven, just a couple of years after being showered with money on stage, was put in a workhouse, an institution for poor people. While still in his pre-teens, the acting bug propelled Chaplin back on stage. He began touring the UK in a clogged dancing troupe called the Eight Lancashire Lads. He was initially dismissed in vaudeville, as pale and puny and much too shy to do any good in the theater. On the Hollywood screen in the early days of movies, Chaplin often portrayed misfits and tramps, out-of-work characters, an unemployed window fitter, and a factory worker who loses his job after an injury. Then he meets someone further on the outskirts of society than he is, even sadder and lonelier characters, and his life has a purpose. In The Kid, he comes across a boy abandoned by his mother. In City Lights, his 1931 film, he's mistaken for a millionaire by a blind flower seller and tries to find money to help her get an operation to regain her sight. In Helping Others, the lonely characters Charlie Chaplin played on the big screen, they find a purpose. The audience is in on the joke when they see funny people being alone and lonely. But for comedians, sometimes what they're really hiding is their shyness as introverts. Steve Martin was riding high with sold-out shows, drawing in audiences unheard of for comedy shows in the early 1970s. In one show, he sold 45,000 tickets at the Nassau Coliseum in New York. 
he was determined to parlay his stand-up success into movie success. The travel was exhausting, and a comedian's longevity seemed finite. Why not, he figured, instead of going to every town to perform his act, he would make a movie and stay home. Making movies meant he wouldn't be judged every day by a changing audience like he was when he was on stage. Stand-up was antisocial. Movies were social. Doing comedy alone on stage is the ego's last stand, he once wrote, and he wasn't someone who was naturally outgoing. He was too shy to get used to taxi drivers rolling down windows and shouting that they were wild and crazy guys, or room service being delivered by servers wearing an arrow through their head. His comedy acts had become so popular that he wasn't actually writing new material, and his timing, so crucial to comedians, was off. The audience were massive at his show. If someone was calling or signaling to him, only their immediate seatmates could hear them and no one else. That interplay between the performer and the audience, the heckling that stand-up comedians sometimes get in smaller venues, had disappeared, and Steve Martin was left alone on stage. In his book, Born Standing Up, he wrote that he learned how to not be so alone by being on the movie set of his first movie, which was directed by another legendary funny man, Carl Reiner. Reiner ran a joyful film set full of humor and glee and with effortless frankness. He taught me more about how to be a social person than any other adult in my life, Steve Martin wrote. The title of his first movie had to be something short, yet have the feeling of an epic tale, like Dostoevsky's The Idiot, but not exactly, Steve Martin recounted. That's how the movie was named, The Jerk. In the immediate aftermath of the movie's success, Steve Martin took his father, who he had a difficult relationship with, and some friends out for dinner. His father talked about everything except the movie. When someone finally point-blank asked him for his thoughts, Steve Martin's dad responded, Well, he's no Charlie Chaplin. Seven years after The Jerk, Steve Martin starred in The Lonely Guy, in which, in one scene, he dresses up as Charlie Chaplin for a costume party. In another scene of that movie, all about lonely men in New York, Steve Martin's character, Larry Hubbard, shows up at a restaurant for dinner, and the whole place goes dead quiet, as diners stare and are horrified when they hear his answer to the question, How many in your party? I'm alone. A spotlight follows him as he makes his way to his table for one. Like Steve Martin, Robin Williams, who died in 2014 by suicide, parlayed his manic hilarity onto the big screen, where he played mostly solemn characters. Williams portrayed lonely characters with heartbreaking insights now in hindsight, with more information about the enormous mental struggles he had off-camera that emerged after his death. One of the loneliest characters Robin Williams ever played on screen was, in my opinion, Bicentennial Man, about a robot who was taken to live with the family of his creator, 
The robot named Andrew is so curious about life that he starts to long for the emotions of what it means to be human, and he begins to recognize the intense loneliness he has about watching the people he loves age and die while he stays alone and alive as a being, but not human. The line that Robin Williams is now most famously linked to was from another movie, World's Greatest Dad. In that movie, he plays a high school poetry teacher named Lance, whose son Kyle has died. In the end of that 2009 movie, the Robin Williams character says, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel all alone. And we'll be right back. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another movie actor who began his career on television as a comedian and then went on to play some of the loneliest characters ever seen on the big screen was Tom Hanks. In one of his most famous roles, he was Chuck Nolan, the castaway, a man who was left stranded on an island after an airplane crash. His only companion, a volleyball he names Wilson. That volleyball is so famous that one of the Wilson volleyballs used in the movie is up for auctions for 60,000 pounds, or about 102,000 Canadian dollars. 
screenwriter William Broyles Jr. was inspired to create the volleyball character, Tom Hanks co-star in the movie, while researching the film. He deliberately stranded himself for one week on an isolated beach in the Gulf of California. There by himself, the screenwriter had to search for water and food. He ate a stingray raw because he didn't know how to set up a fire. But he did manage to make his own shelter and was in self-imposed solitude when a volleyball washed up on the beach on his fifth day alone. He was feeling crushing loneliness by that time. So when the volleyball washed ashore, Broyles adorned it with seaweeds and seashells and sat it next to him at night. In one of the most heartbreaking scenes in Castaway, Wilson is itself cast away when the ball falls from the raft and drifts into the ocean, leaving Tom Hanks all alone once again. Broyle said in an interview that Wilson had to be a character that Chuck Nolan could confide in and share his lonely journey with. Otherwise, it would have been a challenging film to make a character who was entirely on his own. The movie isn't just physical survival. It's what happens once we've already survived and now must face who we are as human beings, Burrell said in an interview. We have to connect, not just physically, but emotionally, with other beings to survive. Tom Hanks was nominated for an Oscar in 2001 for that role in Castaway. He had already won Oscars for two other characters. His second Oscar was in 1994 for the title role of Forrest Gump, a man with mental limitations with a unique, lonely way of seeing the world around him. The movie showed Forrest Gump's isolation and loneliness with scenes of how he's kept apart from others, even though he is in the middle of some of the most historic events of the 20th century. From Elvis learning his dance moves to meeting JFK, to the Vietnam War, to the anti-war rally at the Pentagon, to Watergate. Throughout the movie, he would sit on a bench in a park alone and strike up conversations with random people. Robert Zemeckis won the Best Director Award for Forrest Gump and also directed Hanks in Castaway. In a retrospective of his films a few years ago by the Museum of Modern Art, the curator, Dave Zier, noted a consistent focus in movies directed by Robert Zemeckis. They're all about the isolation of the individual in modern society, a pervasive loneliness that is sometimes a choice, sometimes an accident, like in Castaway, and sometimes a consequence of character, Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks' first Oscar was for Philadelphia in which he played Andrew Beckett, a lawyer who was fired from his firm due to homophobia. It was the first major box office movie to tackle the AIDS crisis and one of Tom Hanks' first serious roles. Like Steve Martin and Robin Williams, Tom Hanks was known initially for improvisations and his slapstick comedy. In 1982, Hanks and actor Peter Scolari were cast in the NBC show about two single men who worked in creative advertising. They could only afford to live in an apartment that was dirt cheap at the Susan B. Anthony Hotel and had to disguise themselves as women named Buffy and Hildegard. That show was called Bosom Buddies. 
But soon, movies came calling, first in comedies like Splash and Big. And after his success as a sad widower in Sleepless in Seattle, where he didn't play it for laughs, Tom Hanks landed the lead role in Philadelphia and won for Best Actor that year. Hanks' co-star in the movie was Denzel Washington, who played Joe Miller, the attorney who represented Hanks' character in court in his lawsuit against the firm that fired him for getting AIDS. The movie shows the progression of Hanks' character, Andrew Beckett, who gets more and more isolated as the movie progresses. He becomes lonelier and lonelier as society rejects him, a society where he thought he knew his place, first at work, then in public, and then finally in the courtroom. Director Jonathan Demme was going to cast a comedian initially in the role that Denzel Washington ended up getting. It was thought a comedian would be a good counterbalance for Hanks and tell the audience it was okay to watch a film about a gay man dying of AIDS. The director's choice was Bill Murray or Robin Williams. He wanted a comedian to be the co-star, Demi said, because it would help a skeptical public and tell the then-still-taboo story of a gay man with AIDS from the perspective of an average Joe wrestling with his own homophobia. A comic who could make people laugh and immediately connect to the audience as soon as they recognized a funny comedian on the big screen would serve as a stand-in for the moviegoer, who could go from being homophobic to becoming a friend and ally. A funny man, Jonathan Demi, the director believed, would immediately be trusted by the viewer. After Denzel Washington expressed his interest, Demi, the director, wasn't sure it was the right move. He didn't want the two main characters to be both outsiders, a gay man and a black lawyer, teaming up to fight discrimination. And the role was intended to be for an actor with a gift for comedy. Comedy is an inside joke and an immediate link to viewers who align themselves to laughter easier than to a character they had no sympathy for at first. It goes even further than that. Audiences have a built-in affection for comedic actors and easily win their sympathy when they are portraying challenging characters. Comedians often play loners in movies. And in one of the biggest movies from the last few years, it was the reverse. A lonely figure was a hopeful stand-up comedian. In one of the setting scenes for this 2019 movie, the lead character is sitting alone at a desk, putting on makeup. A newscast in the background reveals that it's a city on the edge of a major crisis. It's day 18 of a garbage strike, with 10,000 tons of garbage piling up every day. It's when we first meet Arthur Fleck, who is apart from everyone else, in a big rehearsal and dressing room for the other clowns and magicians who work at a place called Ha-Ha's. Four guys are in the corner playing cards and laughing, but Arthur is alone, figuring out how to keep a smile on his face. He puts his fingers on each side of his mouth as he stretches his lips back, revealing not just teeth, but what a smile would actually look like on his expressionless face, 
before pulling his lips down into a frown. It's a forced smile, but the audience already knows that. We soon learn that Arthur Fleck, who is lonely and damaged by childhood abuse, mental illness, and alienation, is driven by words he's been told repeatedly throughout his sad, solitary existence. My mother always tells me to smile and put on a happy face. She told me I had a purpose to bring laughter and joy to the world. He doesn't do a good job of it on stage where he fails miserably as a stand-up comedian. His first time on stage, he laughs maniacally out of nervousness, almost choking from fright. But this loner's sociopathic tendencies are soon revealed, going from being a sad, isolated person to someone who descends quickly into becoming a villain as a result of the unending abuse he's received. The nervous laughter is more than a stage fright. It's a disorder, and the Joker revels in his status as a disruptor in an already disruptive and corrupt society. There is no way to laugh out of the evil that has taken over, and we can see how this origin story begins. Robin Williams was considered for the role of the Joker in the first Batman movie, which eventually went to Jack Nicholson, and to play the Riddler in Batman Forever, a role that went to another comedian, Jim Carrey. And he was in the running to play Charlie Chaplin in the 1992 film directed by Richard Attenborough. It is said that life is a tragedy in close-ups, but in the long shot, it's a comedy. Comedians are shy and sensitive, and audiences immediately connect to them. Never let the audience in on the gag, said Buster Keaton, and hide your pain so the moviegoer never knows what it's really like. It's a lonely job, being funny and not showing it on the big screen. In 1940, Charlie Chaplin released what many have called one of the greatest films of all time. The Great Dictator is a satire about another man who was born just four days apart from Charlie Chaplin, Adolf Hitler. The paradox in The Great Dictator is this, one of the most universally loved on-screen characters, ridiculing and mocking and laughing at one of the most evil men of all time, and doing it through satire. The rise of Nazism, the comedian wanted to tell the audience, was no laughing matter. Comedians allow us to see tragedies unfold on the big screen by letting us know we have the ability to understand it through them, whether it's the AIDS epidemic or Nazis or humanity against machines or mental illness and even loneliness. Charlie Chaplin came up with this equation. His pain could be the reason someone laughed, but he would never get a laugh out of another person's pain. We may be alone, but we are alone together. Alone Together was directed by Callie O'Reilly. Sound engineer is Jeff Devine. Theme music, Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. 
Producers are Allison Pinches and Guillermo Serrano. The host and writer is me, Peg Fong. Follow us at Apostrophe Pod on social and subscribe wherever you get your pods. Excuse me for one second. No, not me. I didn't send for the clowns. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.